Boy, this year we've been hit with some pretty big national and international news stories, haven't we? Some big stuff. And being an election year, there is more to come. Strap on the seatbelts. And I think you know what it's like. You're living your life just doing your normal day-to-day stuff, and then boom, out of the blue, a big national story hits that just dominates everything. And everybody gets all, all riled up, and we think, you know, how am I to think about this? How do I respond to this? What, what do I do about this? I know I ask those questions. I think probably a lot of us do. And this summer, as this was kind of going on, um, again, the deacons and the staff and I, we, and we talked about some of this, and we thought it would be wise to speak in it, to give it some space and to speak into it. And so I'm going to do a series related to the topic in general. I don't know what I'm going to call it yet. Uh, but this morning, I want to answer one really important question. This is what I thought I would start with. I want to answer one really important question. And it's something that uh, I learned that I think from Jesus, and I think it has a lot to tell us about how to live when there's big stories going on. Um, and here's the question. Do I, just as a person, do I, Garen Forsyth, do I... Do I, as pastor of 12th even, do I feel the need to speak to every major national issue that hits the front page of the news? That's, that's kind of the big question. Do I feel the need to speak to every major national issue that hits the front page of the news? And that's kind of the launch into this. We're going to end up doing a series of sermons to answer that question and to, to speak into either, even other issues that are all just wrapped up in that um, um, we're going to try to do it in a broad perspective. If you don't mind, it may not be as specific. It's not to some specific instance. This is just broadly speaking. My view and where I feel like the Bible lands on a lot of this. This series is still being formed in my mind, and we're, we're going to hit several topics. My, my hope really is that in the future, if somebody comes to me in two years and says, wow, this big issue, this is on the news everywhere, what's your opinion or your stand on that? that I want to hit a broad range of topics that I can generally say, you know, I talked about that. Uh, Go back and listen to those broad things, and I think you'll get a sense of probably where I stand in relation to it. Um, You know, as best as possible, this, since I became a believer, this has been poured into me. We want to think biblically about everything, about everything. We want to possess a biblical worldview, a worldview that's shaped by the Bible, um, that helps us to walk well in the world and to navigate the things that, that life and culture shows at us. And so I'm, I really, that to me is really important, having a biblical view of all this. I really want you to be patient with me with this. Um, there are many parts to this, and there's a lot of different angles to it. I won't be able to speak to everything this series. So at some point in the future, I may need to come back and fill in some holes. Um, but I also realize I may be wading into some dangerous waters with this series. Uh, I might be stepping into a minefield because we live in a very polarized society right now in a very polarized environment that's been heightened by all this COVID stuff. So I would like to ask, uh, even this morning and through the series, I would really like to ask for grace. I'd like to ask for grace. In fact, I brought my grace bucket this morning. If you were here when I got installed like a year and a half ago or whatever, Tom Reese, who spoke, brought this old bucket from his house that he had used for years and repairs and stuff, not milking cows, but just a lot of stuff. And he brought it and he said, this is the grace bucket. And he, said, he asked, he said, you need to be giving Garen a lot of grace because that thing empties 
Trust me, it empties. And that need to constantly give grace. We all need to give grace to each other, right? That's the, the most important word to me in the New Testament is grace. So I want to ask for grace um, about all of this. Um, and I need to say one more introductory thing. You know, sometimes when you talk about big, important issues, you have to speak someone in broad strokes. And I don't know that you can ever get away from that. I try, but it's not easy. Uh, most issues in life are much more nuanced than broad strokes, and I know that. So especially on the topic that I've chosen for today and the next few weeks, I just need you to know I can't be super nuanced with it, though my thinking may be a lot more nuanced. So maybe at the end I'll come to some questions that show that. So just uh, please understand that this morning. As I've heard somebody say, so much of life is not a problem to be solved, but it's rather a tension to be lived into. And I really feel like that uh, the stuff I'm going to talk about, the, I, I feel that tension strongly. And today's topic has tensions in it, and I don't claim to live it perfectly. So we'll just all give each other grace, okay? So to answer my question, do I feel the need to speak to every major national issue that hits the front page of the news? I draw my answer and my perspective from Jesus and from a text that has shaped my thought on this for a long time. So I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter 13 with me in your Bible. If you'd turn to Luke chapter 13 or in your phone, um, turn to Luke 13. Um, again, this text has been very formative in my thinking and my living. I want to set it up for you before we get to it. Jesus is traveling village to village bearing the good news of the kingdom of God. Everywhere he goes, he performs miracles and he teaches He's doing ministry in the Jezreel Valley. He's doing some along the Jordan, some in Samaria. He goes into the Gentile territory up across the Jordan on the other side of the sea, up north somewhat. But his ministry is primarily in Galilee. In fact, a lot of scholars think 90% of his time was spent in Galilee. That's where he spent his time. But Jesus is in Galilee and he's on a mission, a mission to proclaim and to advance the kingdom of God. And to eventually die and rise again to buy our redemption. And the redemption of the whole creation, Look at, if you look at Romans 8. So then something happens one day. Some people approach him. Look at verse 1 with me of chapter 13. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with, the sacri with their sacrifices. And let me stop there a second, if you don't mind. Um, I want you to see what these people are doing. Not giving them any good or bad intention or anything, but they're trying to pull Jesus into a national issue. A big thing happened, and they're trying to pull him into it. And I think we would all agree that it's an issue of extreme importance, right? I mean, Pilate murders innocent people who are worshiping in the temple. That's a pretty big deal. Would you not agree with that? I mean, the slaughter of some Galileans by an oppressive ruler. And they want his opinion and his perspective. So the, my question is, is, does he take the bait? So let's read on beginning in verse 2. And Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. 
Wow, strong word. Do you think that's what they expected Jesus to say? (laughs) Not at all. They wanted his opinion on the issue. I think what Jesus did when confronted with with the latest national news, to me, it's enlightening. Rather than focus on the event, he turned their gaze back to the gospel, to the kingdom that he was preaching. When asked about Pilate killing Galileans, he turned them and pointed them to the gospel. Unless you repent, you too will all perish. So here's what I see in Jesus in this text. And we're going to look at a couple more in a minute, or reference a couple more. He refused to allow himself to get drugged into what was an, what was an important moral issue of national importance. He refused to allow himself to get drugged into that. I'm sure Jesus would have agreed that Pilate killing people is an important issue. But he changed the focus of the conversation because he was interested in a much larger issue than they were asking. I find that Jesus consistently pulled back from too deep of entanglement in national political issues of the day. He simply did not allow himself to get pulled into the political fray. You see, to people on both sides of the national issues, and I'm going to show you this in a second, Jesus always preached, it didn't matter where you were, he always preached to you the gospel. And in doing so, just look at his life, he offended people In all five main parties of his day, he offended them all the time. He offended the Pharisees, the Sadducees. He offended the Zealots, the Essenes, the Herodians. And I won't get into all those people. He even said things that offended the Romans. He offended everybody all at one time or another. Uh, You could say Jesus was an equal opportunity offender. Equal opportunity offender. Even today, 2,000 years later, he still offends, doesn't he? And I'm not just talking to other people. I'm talking about me. As I read the Gospels, he says things that still disturb me and unsettle me. I have a number of things in my New Testament that Jesus said in the Gospels. I put a good big question mark beside because it rubs across the grain of who I am and of how I think and how I view issues. It should be that way, shouldn't it? If he is the creator of the universe who's speaking, and as Isaiah says, then his thoughts are not my thoughts and his ways are not my ways. And as far as the heavens are above the earth are his thoughts above my thoughts and his ways above my ways. I should find myself sometimes offended at things that he says. And the reason I mark him isn't because I'm mad at him about him. The reason I mark him is because when I come back through it again, I am praying, Lord, I need you to get my thinking in alignment with yours because I don't understand this point and it unsettles me. And so change me. But if you read the Gospels regularly, I'm going to tell you, it doesn't matter if you are right or left or if you're a moderate in the middle on different issues, you will find things which Jesus says which disturb or unsettle you. He says things that unsettle all of us. Just look at his 12 followers. He called Simon the Zealot. A zealot was a person who was violently rebelling against the Roman Empire. They would surreptitiously, that's a really big word, I can't even say it, at night, basically, when nobody was around, they would kill Roman officials, they would kill Roman soldiers, individuals usually, they would um, even kill Jews who supported Rome, people like tax collectors. He was part of that party when he met Jesus. And Jesus also called a follower named Matthew, who was a what? A tax collector, one who colluded with Rome. 
Both men had totally opposing views on the cultural issues of the day. They were on opposite sides of the thing. That would be like Jesus choosing a bluer-than-blue Democrat and a redder-than-red Republican to be part of the 12th. That's really what it was like. Can you imagine what the first year was like in that group of 12 with those two guys in there together? Can you imagine? I mean, really? But both of them were united by one thing, their love and their commitment to Jesus. And I am certain that both of them were constantly challenged in their thinking by him, while at the same time they both felt unconditionally loved and accepted by him. This turning of people's primary concerns back towards the gospel was a constant of Jesus' life. When asked about taxes in Matthew 22, within a culture that was polarized between a small pro-Roman faction and a very large anti-Roman faction, he in the end preached the gospel and he turned everybody who was present turned them all to the main thing, which was their responsibility with God. When he said, give what is God's, give it to God. In other words, your life, your soul, your passion, all of you, give everything to him. Two brothers were fighting over inheritance. One came to him in Luke 12, and Jesus preached the gospel to that brother rather than speaking directly to the dispute, warning about the love of money and of the need to be rich towards God, always pointing people to the gospel. He was undeterred in his mission of proclaiming the good news. His focus was always on his gospel mission. And I want to tell you, there were some huge cultural and moral issues going on in Israel at the time of Jesus that he never spoke into. I want to briefly just mention one. There was a Roman gymnasium built by Herod the Great in Jerusalem. In the Roman gymnasium, men would exercise and take baths in the nude. In Greek, gumnas, where we get gym, means nude. Uh, I want to tell you, we know from history that many unseemly things happened at the gymnasium. It wasn't just all about sports. Josephus tells us, who lived at the time of Jesus, that a growing number of Jewish men in Jesus' day were uncircumcising themselves. Ask me later if you want to know how that worked or how they did it. They were uncircumcising themselves so they could go to the gymnasium nude and not be recognized as a Jew so they could take part in the things that were happening there. It was the fashionable place to be in his day. Jesus never once mentioned this because he had bigger fish to fry. He was in Galilee, the primary locale of his ministry, and he did not want to lose focus on preaching in that region, even if a national tragedy occurred that involved Galileans. In my mind, Jesus was way ahead of his time, embodying what would become Coca-Cola's motto. And I love their motto. It's this, think globally, but act locally. Think globally, but act locally. And I believe that I, and I think we as a body, we are called to keep our primary focus on the place to which we are called locally. I am aware, trust me, I even care about many national issues. I think globally. But I must give the majority of my time, my energy, my resources, my passion, my focus to the place where God has put me, and that's Emporia, Kansas. I believe God calls me to give my time primarily to the local ministry and local issues. 
and to not allow national issues, especially those that don't really impact us locally, a lot of them do, I know, but a lot don't, to distract me from the flesh and blood people who live around me and God has put in my sphere of influence. Let me add this. I've been given the privilege and the responsibility and the stewardship of a vote, and even on a, nas- even on a national level. Very few people in history have had that. I am thankful for that right, and if you know me, I take that right seriously. I try to be as educated as possible. The Bible forms my thinking on major issues that affect our nation, and I view our politicians' stances on those issues from a biblical worldview, from my perspective as I understand it. And when I cast a ballot for a national candidate, whether it's a senator, representative, or the president, I'm lending my voice and my views to the person I think will best represent those views on a national stage. And by the way, how many of you have found the people you vote for 100% represent everything you think about an issue? Never, right? Okay. It is what it is. But I've kept, when I cast my ballot, to a large degree, I leave it at that. Because back to the main issue, because I want to think globally, but I want to act locally like I think Jesus did. I think Jesus' incarnation also speaks to this, informs me. God became incarnate. He became present at a particular time in a particular place in history. His mission was global. He thought globally. For God so loved the, the what? The world. But he acted locally dealing with real people right in front of him in need in the village he currently was in. He didn't heal, nor did he teach the vast majority of the people in the world. But he knew that the kingdom which he was launching would eventually touch the whole earth, reaching to the ends of the earth. He was fully present to the place where he was and with the people that were around him and the people that were right in front of him. This emphasis on a focus of loving those closest to me, there's actually a phrase for it. It's called the principle of moral proximity. Here's what Kevin DeYoung says about it. The principle is pretty straightforward, but it's often overlooked. The closer the moral proximity of, say, a person in need, the closer the moral proximity, the greater the moral obligation on me to help. Moral proximity does not refer to geography, though that can be part of the equation, moral proximity refers to how connected we are to a person in need by virtue of familiarity, kinship, space, and time. That's kind of, I hope that's not, that's kind of, here's, here's the principle of moral proximity, if I were to summarize it. The closer the moral proximity, the greater the moral obligation. Let me illustrate. If a church in Virginia is struck by lightning and burns down, our church could help them out. Financially, we could send people there to help rebuild, but our moral obligation is much greater if the church across town burns down. Is that not right? If a small town in Texas is hit by a tornado, we could help them out, and there's nothing wrong with that. We sent for three or four years in a row people down to New Orleans for Katrina over spring break, primarily the college students, but others went with them. We could help, but the moral obligation is much less than it would be to help people, say, in Redding, Kansas, who were hit by a tornado several years ago, just a few miles away. Does that make sense? So this is not to say I only care about my family, my friends, my relatives, my neighbors, my city, my country. That's not the point. It's not to say that I can be uncaring or callous to people in Virginia or Texas. 
Um, it's not even to say that geography is the only thing I consider because I'm frankly more obligated to our daughter who lives in North Carolina than I am to the neighbor just down the street. But I think the point is, is more than ever, we need to give our primary focus to that which is, has moral proximity, basically to our locale, our local needs. And I will add, if God's called you to a national stage and he puts you in a place of influence, then great, do it, go for it. But I kind of have a feeling most of us in here aren't called to that kind of a stage. I know I'm not. So here's my main point. I don't feel the need to respond to every national or even international issue that the national media determines to put in front of us. I don't feel the need. There will always be a myriad, there will be thousands of national and international issues that can gain my attention. But I do feel the need to focus on the locale where God has placed me and to, and to give this place the majority again of my energy my thinking, my passion, my resources, my focus, because this is the place that God has called me to. This is the place He's called me to. I decided a long time ago that I will not let my life agenda, my time agenda, and my energy agenda, even my resource usage agenda, to be driven by the national media. I determined that a long time ago. And I'm not talking about the local media here. Because while they report on national issues, their primary, they primarily exist to report on local issues that represent important things going on here in the community. So when I say I'm not going to let the national media drive my life, doesn't mean I don't have compassion and don't care, because I do. Doesn't mean my head is buried in the sand, because trust me, I am very aware. And I have views on a lot of things. Ask my family. But I don't let that drive me. I have opinions about those things that I share with family, and I try to think biblically, but that's not what drives my life and my focus. My main focus is to think globally but act locally because that's what I think Jesus did. That's what I think he modeled for me. If I see a national issue or trend, I am frequently asking, how is this manifesting itself locally with the people in the community that I'm called to? How is it manifesting itself locally? If it has manifested itself locally, I believe it deserves my attention, my voice, and my action. Let me give you two examples that are very real to this place. Um, I don't know, this was six or seven years ago. The whole Syrian civil war started. ISIS was going on in Iraq. And there were a lot of refugees from both countries fleeing the country. At that time, in both countries, the number of Christians who were being extremely persecuted and being tried to force out of the countries were seeking refuge in a lot of other countries. And at that point, for various reasons, whether you agreed or not, the administration at that time was, was purposely not granting visas to the Christian refugees. A lot of people disagreed with that. that I mean, we care about everybody, but we also care about people who are being persecuted for their faith. It just so happened at that same time, and I knew some people that felt very strongly about it, talked a lot about the issue. But at that same time, we happened to have a fellow who came from Syria, who was able to get out, who was a Christian. His name was Tamer. And we worked with Tamer. And I want to tell you, the thing that Tamer needed more than anything was a family to just have him over to their house sometimes feed him a meal, listen to him, talk to him, 
Pray for him. We had the big issue over there, but we had somebody local. And the question is, is where am I going to focus my attention? I'm globally aware, but I'm focused local. We actually, uh, if you learn much about us, there are a couple of people that we know who were um, living in the Middle East, people that I know and have spoken to relatively recently, who were in a country and they were dealing a lot personally with refugees from Syria. And they were people that we could talk to, that we could help fund financially, that we could ask how we could pray for them. They were people who were on the ground locally dealing with it, who I knew, who some of us knew, and we could have given our energy to them instead of just worrying about the big, the big global issue. Again, there's nothing wrong with being concerned about that. One more example, Connie Myers, we just had her funeral last Monday. She cared very much about the right to life and about abortion, the killing of unborn children, felt very passionately about that, was involved in the national right to life. But the thing I loved about Connie is she was primarily involved locally, caring for women who had been through abortions, doing Bible studies, helping them come to know Jesus. I know this specifically, one instance, there was an international student from Korea who had an abortion. Again, this is impacting us locally a national issue impacting us locally, was pressured by her Korean boyfriend to do that, and it devastated her. And Brandy was working with her, and Brandy got Connie together with her, and they ended up doing a Bible study with her, and were sharing for her the love and the forgiveness of Jesus. So through it all, they were dealing with a real person and pointing them to Jesus. To me, that's what Jesus modeled, is that kind of approach. So above all, for me, I keep my primary focus on Jesus, on his good news, the advancement of the kingdom. Jesus' final marching orders of the church were to make disciples of all nations. Any other marching orders, to me, are a distant second. This doesn't mean we're only focused on the gospel to the neglect of seeking the restoration of all things, justice being one of those things. I'm not saying we do that to the neglect of those things, but I really believe that we are to show restraint from getting involved in agendas no matter how worthy or good, that distract us from our primary mission. That's what I think. That we're to show restraint from allowing something to distract us from the main mission. We want to be known for the gospel. We want to be known for the gospel, not our political agendas. Okay? We want to be known as Jesus people. We want to keep the main thing the main thing, and Jesus not our political agendas. As J.D. Greer so eloquently said, we should be known first and foremost for the gospel that unites us and the kingdom that defines us. That's what we should be known for. We must keep focused on preaching the gospel and on living it out, not just talking it, but living it out, which I'm going to come back to at the end, so hang with me. You know, it's interesting for most of human history and the history of the church the primary people primarily had access to the only local issues almost exclusively. Uh, the burning issues of concern were the issues in the village or the county. I was just talking to Heidi. I mean, you were just telling me in your small town in Germany, it was all what was going on in that little village, right? I mean, that's exactly what it was. Um, only occasionally, you know, you have the national news or whatever. So, but now suddenly we are aware of everything. Is that not true? We are aware of everything, especially in the age of the internet and the smartphone. 
But let me add this, aware of everything of the national media's choosing or of the media of our choices choosing and of their political agendas. You know that? If you allow the national media or the media of your choosing to determine the focus of your life, there is an agenda behind that. And there's a lot of things happening they never talk about. I really know this well. Having worked with international students, I care a lot about what's going on globally. American news rarely reports on international events. Really big things like something blows up in Beirut kind of thing. But there are major events happening in the world that if you're not on British news, you don't even know about. Because our national news media doesn't care about a lot of international things. But there's so much that I think inundates us and overwhelms us. And I think if you allow the national media to be the main thing that drives where you focus your time, your energy, your attention, your emotions and passion, if you allow yourself to get all worked up about a national issue that may not be fully manifested locally, I think you risk two things. Losing sight of the primacy of the kingdom of God and I think you risk losing sight of the ways God is at work locally and he wants to advance his kingdom locally. Let me talk briefly about one way I've seen this manifested. Social media, like Facebook and Twitter. Uh, and I say those two things knowing those probably show my age to the younger generation here. I feel like a lot of our time and emotional energy is wasted in social media. Could it be that much of my time on, and let me be an equal opportunity offender here, on Fox News or on MSNBC or in listening to political commentators or on Facebook or on Twitter, could it be that much of my time on those things is wasted time and is actually a distraction from the main thing? Just asking the question. Specifically, posting my views on Facebook or Twitter by getting in online discussions and by all my posting and my opinions, even though they're well-researched and well-reasoned arguments, am I really making a difference? Am I really changing the minds of the people who like to get in on, in on online debates? Am I really changing their minds? More importantly, am I really drawing people to Jesus? We just sang about that, the name of Jesus. Am I really drawing people to Jesus? Am I showing forth his beauty so people will be attracted to him? Also of great importance in my thinking is, am I by all, the time, all my time on television or online, am I getting worked up emotionally without really, really changing anything or impacting a person, a real person? Am I really helping real flesh and blood people in my locale, in my neighborhood, in my city? That's always what's on my mind. Is it possible that all of our crusades online may not be advancing the gospel, but in fact may be doing the opposite? A lot of our focus on political agendas, online, national issues can create an offense that can actually hinder people from coming to Jesus. Training people for evangelism when we did international ministry, we always told them, Keep it about Jesus and not the issues, the cultural issues. Because students would always ask my opinion on issues. And I would always push them back towards Jesus. I had one student one time who came to me and he says, I want to know what Christians believe about this issue. And based upon what you tell me will determine if I continue to, to learn about Jesus or not. Your answer will determine that. So I want to know what do Christians think about this issue. And I said, you're asking the wrong question. There's a much more important question. 
He wasn't even sure if God was real at this point. I said, you know what the, you know what the main question is? It's this. Number one is, is there a God? That's the first question. Is there a God? And then when you, we, and if we answer that question, then the next question is, if there is a God, who is he and what's he like? And then the next question is, is Jesus God in human flesh? Is he the creator? And are you drawn to and attracted to him? That's the biggest question, is that. And he took that, and he went there with me, and he left the issue aside, and ended up becoming a follower of Jesus. And guess what happened to his mind on the issue? It changed, and I never talked to him about the issue. I saw this time and time again. That if people come to faith in Jesus through the Spirit, through the Spirit and the Word of God, He will start changing people's worldview and the way they think about issues. If we put the same amount of energy and passion and time into loving and befriending our neighbors and our coworkers, not just working with them, but having them to our house, having a meal, caring for them, can you imagine the gospel impact that we could have? So my question, I mean, for me, for all of us, is always, can we all just strive to be known first and foremost of people who know and love and follow and who obey Jesus as people who consistently live him out before a watching world and not so much for our views on the big issues? Like the first Christians in the book of Acts, can we all strive to be known as they were as people who were followers of Jesus' way? That's what they were known as. Can we not focus on being known as followers of Jesus' way? Maybe we should take the advice of Christine Kane that she delivered to 70,000 college students in the Georgia Dome at Passion Conference a few years ago that I attended where she said this, get, get your face out of Facebook and into the good book. Boy, I have so much more I could say about this, but I don't have time. We all have to get home for lunch. So can I summarize? I mean, here are kind of, to me, my main thoughts. Jesus consistently pulled back from too deep an entanglement in the national political issues of the day. He simply did not allow himself to get pulled into the political fray. Rather, he was undeterred in his mission of proclaiming the good news. His focus was always on his gospel mission. His mission was global, but he acted locally, dealing with real people who were right in front of him in the village that he was currently in, loving them and meeting their needs and proclaiming the gospel to them. Like Jesus, I believe that I and we as a body are called to keep our primary focus on the place to which we are called locally. So following Jesus' example, I want to think globally, but I want to act locally. And I remember the principle of moral proximity, that the closer the moral proximity a thing is, the greater my moral obligation. Above all else, I have to keep my primary focus on Jesus, on His good news, the advancement of His kingdom, because I want to be known somebody who follows Jesus and for the gospel, more than I want to be known for my views on big issues. I really believe we're to show restraint from getting involved in agendas, no matter how worthy or good, that distract us from the mission. So, going back to my initial question, I do not feel the need to speak to every major national issue that hits the front page of the New York Times or lands on Yahoo's front page. I don't feel the need to do that. Do I need to be aware most definitely, yes. Do I need to speak out on all of those issues? No. There will always be a myriad of national and international issues to gain my attention. 
I just feel the need to focus on the locale where God has placed me to give this place, this church, this body, this city, the majority of my time, my energy, my resources, because this is the place God called me. A couple of questions. So does this mean I start supporting or being involved in the national right to life, or I need to stop supporting my child through Compassion International? And I say, no, not at all. That's not the point. There's nothing wrong with having a passion for one or two large national or international issues and doing something about it. There's nothing wrong with that. We, our family, we support a child through Compassion International in Bolivia. We support the work of International Justice Mission. I love what they're doing with slavery in the world, and I love their approach, their approach to justice and resolving that. Totally bought in with what they're doing. As much as possible, we support threads of hope. I don't just wear these to be cool. I wear them for a reason. I'm not good at being cool, frankly. Um, I wear these and we support it primarily because we have a connection to threads of hope in the Philippines through our church through our and our, through our children. I mean, the Coltrane's were on that island involved. And we've had two mission trips to that place in the Philippines where we became aware of this. Our children came back and told us of the mission and how important it was and captured our hearts. And so um, that's something that we still do. In fact, just Friday, I had the chance to share this ministry with a local businessman who asked about it. And I told him about what they were doing and he was so blown away by what they were doing. And I just said, I just want to remind you that the thing behind all of this is Jesus and a love for Jesus. And even through this, I was pointing him to Jesus. Um, so these are all things I care about. I may even share them with you, but they're not at the forefront of my life and my agenda. They're not at the forefront. So do those things. Be blessed in it. Um, just don't allow them to detract you from your ability to work locally, to love your neighbor, to evangelize those around you. Then the other question is this, what about issues of justice? What about issues of justice? Doesn't the Bible say a lot about that? It does. Are you saying that seeking justice doesn't matter? I'm not. Are you saying just ignore issues of justice, especially on national issue? I'm not. In the next few weeks, I want to speak to what the Bible has to say about the topic of justice. Today's just kind of my first words on this topic, um, but there's a lot more that's rolling around in my my brain and what I, how I think the Bible lands on a lot of stuff. So here's what I would say to wrap up. Our primary job as a church, I think, is to make disciples who make disciples. People who are so immersed in the Word of God that they make real and significant impact on the people around them and their sphere of influence. That's our job. And my job as a pastor teacher, as we talked last week, it is to equip, it's to equip God's church I think to equip God's people to have a gospel worldview and to have gospel tools so that I and you and all of us, that we can be involved in real human lives, influencing people for Jesus, and that we can be starting local ministries of mercy and justice that impact the people of Emporia, Kansas. That's what I feel like my job is, to equip us to start those kind of ministries. Things like Shiloh, the Rescue Mission, Abundant Harvest, Focus, the Ministry Internationals, Food for Students, Never Too Young. And many others I don't have time to mention. But you all know who you are. So again, as we push through this, I really ask for grace. I hope you hear my heart. It's really about, I think we've got to keep the focus on Jesus, the name above all names. Um, I'm open to dialogue. Um, if you feel I've left something important out, one, give me time to work through some, some sermon 
topics, but um, at the end of all of it, I'd love to talk. Let's just do so with kindness and humility. Lots of grace, please. But So, that is what I felt like was the first thing that I needed to say, and I have been influenced very much by Jesus on that. I really feel like that that's the way he approached things. Is It was that gospel focus on where he was. That's got to be the majority of my time and the primary of my focus. Would you stand with me? I'd like to pray for us. Father, we want to be like your son, Jesus. We want to be like you. We want to be gospel-focused. We want to be about the advancement of your kingdom. Doesn't mean that other things are unimportant, but we don't want to lose our heart for you and for you being known and for you people knowing you and having this life-changing, eternal life-giving encounter with you. So help us to keep the main thing, the main thing. It is so easy to get distracted by so many things in our world. There's just so much clamming for our attention. Just help us to keep our focus on you and on making you know. We want to be that kind of people. May we be light wherever we are so people will see our good works and will praise you, Father in heaven. We want through our lives the light to be shined upon you for you to be famous. And this is our longing. So help us to keep our eyes and hearts focused on the people and places around us where we live, where we work every day, and just to be impacting those people you brought into our lives, first and foremost. And I pray this in your good name, Jesus. Amen. And as always, you're sent, you're sent to your spheres of influence to live as light and to love the people around you and to help them come to know Jesus.